0: Sleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi, the next generation. This time, we'll be taking uh, on three separate episodes, uh, episodes 308 to 310, Whisper to a Scream, Against All Odds, and Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, I'm Tiffany Salter, and I am a professor of uh, literature and film at Bates College, and I uh, look at Asian American and Pacific Islander um, cultural production at the intersections of anti-imperialism and queer studies. And I also uh, look at film, particularly um, with genre uh, and kind of other nerdy things.
1: I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English at the College of DuPage. I study television, film, and pop culture. Um, Teach classes in those areas in addition to composition, digital media, literature, and whatever else gets thrown in there in an English department.
2: I'm Sonia Gabbard. I am a professor at DePaul University in the Department of Women's and Gender Studies and Sexuality Studies. I teach um, all classes in feminist studies, but uh, right now my focus is on gender violence and resistance and transnational global queer studies, uh, which is my area of focus and research. And I'm a huge Degrassi stan and excited to talk about these ever.
3: I'm Brendan. I'm a professor of English in the Humanities Department at Central State University. I teach a lot of freshman composition as well as classes in African-American literature and uh, women's and gender and sexuality studies courses
0: great so i'm recapping these three episodes today and i just want to let everyone know um first of all if you um don't know um you can watch these episodes on youtube for free because canadian broadcasting uh is cool like that um but also more importantly um, want to offer a content warning so we're covering three kind of heavy episodes and uh, uh included in uh both the episodes in our discussion of these episodes uh, we will be covering um, topics related to self-harm, substance abuse, homophobia, slut-shaming, and partner and relationship abuse in the form of physical, social, and emotional abuse. So kind of heavy episodes. So we start this week talking about Whisper to a Scream. Um, and this we get to see a couple of episodes here in a row where we get some of our uh, kind of characters who are not the sort of main characters that we've been, we had been talking about in the past several episodes. So we get a very Ellie centric episode this time. We find out her dad is in the army and that he's being deployed on a peacekeeping mission But in their goodbye, it's very clear that Ellie is concerned about spending time with her mother without her father there. Uh, And her dad dad says that your mother is fine. She is under control. It'll be fine. And we very soon find out that the thing that Ellie is concerned about is that her mother uh, is abusing alcohol. And it seems like she is often on the couch um, or sleeping on the couch and that Ellie is a little bit on her own bringing take home uh, and that sort of thing to feed herself and her mother. As this is also going on, we find out that at school, Ellie has an interview for her sort of dream placement at the co-op, which is where Caitlin, adult, one of the adult uh, previous generation of Degrassi folks, works, uh, in uh, related to news production and that sort of thing. But Paige also has an interview for the same uh, for the same position. So. Ellie's having a bad day on the day of the interview. She shows up to math class and there's a pop quiz, but she hasn't done her homework. At lunch, she gets a uh, page spills Ellie's lunch on Ellie's white shirt before the interview, so she ends up interviewing in a raincoat. She's very upset during her interview. Caitlin tells her to calm down, it's okay, takes a breath. She smudges her eye makeup because she is crying, and she lets her know that she's very nervous. But it's also very clear that Ellie is very excited, has a lot of relevant experience, and so on. We see, like, between that and the next day, we see Ellie go home. Her mother has clearly been drinking. There's um, uh, empty vodka bottles on the table. Uh, She is clearly, Ellie is clearly upset, and she goes to her room when she hears her mom vomiting, she gets startled and knocks things onto uh, off of her desk, including a compass, which she picks up and she uses it to harm herself. So we find out that at the next day at school, she gets the position for the co-op and Paige says that Caitlin must have felt sorry for her because um, Paige is being petty. And uh, so then we kind of go into a cycle of like looking at Ellie's work at the co-op, which is only one day a week, but like is clearly um, a stressor on top of the fact that she is having to deal with her mother at home. And uh, we kind of move back and forth between these two scenes and we see scenes of her harming herself. Paige sees uh, Paige sees Ellie harm her, uh, the evidence that Ellie has been harming herself in the bathroom and goes to talk to Miss Sauvé about it upsets Ellie uh, but by the end of this by the end of the episode we see Ellie in Miss Sove's office and there's more to unpack when we talk about that but um, we see miss uh, Sove and Ellie talking. well we see them in the office. Ellie is not talking but miss Sove says that it's a it's a great start that she understands that she does need to talk about it even if she hasn't talked about it yet. So the B plot in this episode um, revolves around Terry. Who has a secret admirer who she hopes it. uh, I thought that she was saying Rich in the episode, but apparently his name is Rick. Um, So she has a secret admirer. She wants it to be Rick. Hazel tries to convince Terry to ask Rick out. um, But then Toby starts approaching her in weird ways, like saying, like, what, you know, Terry's trying to figure out if he's the secret admirer, but like, he's saying, can't you, like, basically read my mind? Uh, And it turns out that. Toby was like doing a report on psychics and was basically asking Terry all these very weird questions uh, in hopes of disproving that she has any kind of psychic ability, um, because in previous episodes it's been established that she uh, is into tarot and other uh, such activities. Uh, but we find out when Terry stakes out her own locker that it is Rick who is leaving the roses on her locker, um, and uh, and and then we—that's the end of that for this moment. So okay, so that's pretty much it, uh, and we have a lot, a lot to cover. There's so much about this episode to really unpack. That was great, Tiff. Thanks. I didn't write it down this time. <laughs>
1: okay at any rate um, when i was watching these episodes i messaged brendan and i was like i forgot you know how much ellie's mom aggravates me
2: oh
1: my god <laughs> and, and it's like um it's it, it's obviously not the alcoholism part it's just that she is like They write her in such a grating way (laughs) that even without that, I think she would get on my nerves. But then also she's having this hugely
3: negative impact on Ellie. And I believe I replied that they also put her in a really awful drunk mom wig. Yes, Um, that's true. Yeah, her wig, there's like a different wig she wears when she's on the sofa.
1: With her bottles of vodka called Vodka. <laughs> That's all they say on the bottle is vodka. Um,
0: and also I think that like the the going away scene, I wasn't sure exactly what they were setting up, but it's very clear that Ellie's mom is like, just smile and wave. And so there's, there's this way in which like in public, like she has an awareness of how she is behaving in public versus her own private persona. And and Mm -hmm. Ellie is very uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. this duplicity. Like we get that in the opening scene. We're not entirely sure yet what Ellie is so uncomfortable about. Um, But like obviously the conversation Mm -hmm. with her dad, and then her reaction to her mom saying, you know, just like wave to your dad because like he's on the bus that they're driving away. Just wave and smile, and which Ellie does not do. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean it's really like. The very first scene being the deployment on a bus. I mean, this came out in 2000, late 2003. So at that point, Canada was a part of the coalition of the willing, uh, George Bush's coalition to invade Iraq to get those mass, weapons of mass destruction that did not exist. So I'm, I I honestly don't remember if there's more sort of. Iraq war stuff in future episodes, but here we get a little glimmer of what's happening, you know, internationally, globally, even if it's just seeing Ellie's dad going off to war.
1: I mean, I know that we see him more, but I can't remember if they specifically talk about the war stuff. I just know that he will see the character more later.
2: Yeah, same, same, so we'll see.
3: I mean, this episode and all three episodes we watched for today are, for this batch, are so much better balanced than the last batch we talked about in the last episode, which was, like, this shaggy dog of, like, just things not connecting. Like, this episode was intense, but, like, Ellie's story made sense in its progression to me and at least in this episode the terry storyline was the perfect balance to that it was like Mm -hmm. i wrote this was so much all three of these ultimately were so much i mean awful things happen and they're frustrating but they were so refreshing after that last batch which was just like this mishmash of like maybe it was seeding things but also just not put together it just felt like the stride was hit back again Mm-hmm. Well,
0: and I think that formally, also, there is something new that's going on in this episode. So we see them really rely on montage um, in telling in telling a mm-hmm. story, but like, not only just like cutting in between scenes with music in the background, we also see like split screen stuff. So we see things happening. Obviously, and you know something that like I was trying to say like it goes back and forth but like part of that going back and forth is we are literally watching on screen Ellie at this new job while her mom is on um on the sofa or like it is her mom on the sofa and Ellie harming herself and so um so they're getting a little bit more sophisticated or you know experimental um with the way that they're constructing the story and I felt like while like it felt a little sort of i don't want to say amateurish but like it's not it's not like sophisticated television especially like with the split screen stuff but what it did pacing wise was it really sort of like it helped pack in a lot of information and um, and to uh, give a i mean it compressed time in a way that showed that the, these things were a pattern um and that they were happening even though like we understand like this is only happening over the course of maybe a couple of weeks but like we see that like that she is self-harming in a, in a very like consistent manner over this time so like we see the first one but by the time that paige confronts her and asks to see her arm like we see that like this has clearly been consistently happening so i just i thought that like formally we were they're they're using the tools that they have access to to try to i think maybe make the pacing flow better.
1: Mm-hmm. The parallel editing is doing some some heavy lifting in this episode, which is good, because a lot of times, you know, in shows like this, and, and this happens in Degrassi too sometimes, so I don't want to act like it doesn't happen, but like they present a problem and then it's like resolved 20 minutes later and it's like no time has passed for the characters. Yeah. And I think they do a better job in this episode of establishing that, like, this is an ongoing issue. And, like, even if Ellie wasn't necessarily self-harming beforehand, it seems like it's very much something she had contemplated and considered before being finally, you know, reaching that point in this episode. Um, so we really get some of the, like, without explicitly saying that, really get some of the um, thoughts behind that um, process in think in a really technically savvy way.
2: And then also as a viewer, I mean having a quadrant like having the four different screens also kind of gives this high intensity frenetic Mm -hmm. experience too. So not only are you seeing a passage of time and the escalation etc on Ellie's part, but you're also watching sort of a chaotic screen trying to make sense of what's going on. So you are having an experience that might mimic some of the intensity and anxiety and stress that Ellie's experiencing too, which I thought was very effective. Absolutely.
3: I agree. Uh-huh. And Caitlin is put into this in a way that makes sense, right? Like yes, right, that, right. So it sets Caitlin into the world. And I liked there's some, they don't go over the top, but there is a sort of Ellie looking to Caitlin as a role model. We get more mm-hmm. of a sense of, Caitlin's importance within this community, right? As like this like single career woman that everyone knows from watching the news that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that split screen stuff and all that editing also makes sense because she's like working on the news, right? I thought that that was really clever. Um, mm-hmm. And that when she goes to the therapist at the end, it sort of is a callback obviously to Paige's therapy episodes Dealing with her own trauma, but also to even Caitlin at the beginning talking about having a therapist as part of her life, right? Like, she says, like, my therapist says it's important to have a life, right? And so I thought that that kind of those connections were better than I think some of the ways. I mean, I have a thing about how the adults sometimes are just sort of shoehorned in here. I thought this made a lot more sense. I was less sure about the page stuff. I think at the end it made sense, and it. Like, there's a missing middle part where it goes from, like, they are rivals to, like, Paige, once again, does emotional heavy lifting. Something happens in the middle that I don't quite, It's a little mushy. I think,
1: like, I, I think, like, part of this is, like, We talked a little bit before about how Ellie and Paige are kind of friends, but not really friends. Like Ashley is their link, but even Ashley and Paige, still snark at each other sometimes. So it's like they're friends, but they're not like close friends, but like, you know, (laughs) associated enough to like interact, but not like necessarily. Like, I don't know that we would see like Paige and Ellie hanging out by themselves on their own associated enough to like eat lunch together in the cafeteria.
2: Right, with tension. I mean, I think it really fits with Paige's personality as the the mean girl with a heart, like the human mean girl. Cause that's the thing she's even remember with way back when with Dean and she was telling Manny, you know, look out for him and Manny was a total brat about it. And Paige still went back and was like, I'm here for you, da, da, da. Like that kind of fits with Paige's the way she's written. Even if you're an enemy of hers, she still doesn't want you to experience harm. She's still concerned about you, basically.
1: And because she's had her own like traumatic experience, I think she's really like in tune and aware of like other people going through things. And obviously she knows that counseling has been beneficial to her, which is why she turns to that for LE too.
2: Yeah, like of the whole lot, like Paige's secret career should be like a social worker or a counselor, but I don't think she will. And I don't think she wants to do it, but she would be the one that she or Jimmy would be like the best (laughs) situated ones. But there's one more quick thing I wanted to mention about the pacing and etc. I'm glad you mentioned the last scene when Ellie is sitting with uh, Counselor Suve because it's so fast paced, there's so much music, da da da, and then we cut to Ellie sitting in the counselor's office and it's silent and she just finishes her session and it's clear that she hasn't spoken the entire time, uh, which I think also is was really effective too in terms of thinking about like the internal world that Ellie is experiencing and the chaos and then her inability to articulate what that feels like and and just the sort of outer calm that she seems to still have
3: and her isolation. I think another totally. reason I mean Tiffany was talking about the aesthetic here. like this episode is so ellie heavy. you know, like she's sort of in her own world in some ways, which is fine. And I think it works really well. but it's both because she's always that sort of outsider, she's styled literally styled herself that way and then the few people she could talk to she either there is a sort of small moment here where it's like marcos can't listen to her because he's gay and he's distracted by boys which i found a little annoying but like there is a sort of like everyone else has a thing and she's on her own and Mm -hmm. that is part of her problem and i think the balance of that with the lightness of the terry Hazel, who's my secret admirer, Mm -hmm. a little bit of Toby shenanigans is so well done. And it really emphasizes how isolated she is until she gets that moment that you're talking about, Sonnet, where she's like, someone's actually listening. And also even the moment in the bathroom with Paige, where Paige is like pushing it.
2: Yeah, pushy Paige.
1: So should we talk about this secret admirer situation? Oh because my- as I
2: recall,
1: uh, Brendan was I wrote very- Terry.
3: I wrote Terry and I underlined it
1: multiple times. Brendan was ready to put out a missing persons report on
0: Terry.
2: <laughs> Let's all just she's
0: say, back. let's just all say hello, <laughs> <theories>. Yeah, like, Toby's <laughs> interactions with her are wild. But I was just very, I was, I was very thrilled to see and like, and it's very cute. Like, I mean, she's like giggly, like it, we'll talk about, you know, an episode later on, or, you know, two episodes in the future here in a second. But like, Um, Right now, this is like a very cute uh, little storyline. It's nice to see, like, you know, uh, Terry and Hazel, you know, like, and their friendship a little bit and and how sort of encouraging Hazel is to to Terry. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, I've also missed Terry
1: yeah and we i mean we've talked also about how hazel disappears for long periods of time and obviously they both sort of play second fiddle to ashley and paige and whatnot but here we like get them on their own which is something we don't usually see which is a nice change of pace yeah
0: i i thought it was also interesting that after because i mean we've talked in the past couple episodes about this season have been very heavy on our sort of quote unquote like you know, the main main Degrassi players um, and they're just like, oh, it's like they got to episode eight and they're like, oh shit we haven't talked about any of these people so let's just all put them all in one episode so, like, it was just like all of the, you know, second tier characters, like, all appear all at once
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny, not funny it's interesting that the balance comes in this episode it's kind of deeply traumatic but also I think there's a focus to it and there's an intentionality here that maybe was missing even in some of the previous episodes this season that sort of center on sort of trauma um Mm -hmm. and also the way that the show uses therapy i think is just really smart um Mm -hmm. or at least as smart as it's going to be um i mean
1: especially in like 2003 because again People talk about mental health often now, but it was not the case back then. Totally, um, it was it was you know in teen shows, in any show really. Um, so that was you know particularly notable.
2: No, you're so right. I mean, it wasn't thinking about this generation, like Gen Z, how therapy is part of self care, etc. That wasn't that was completely off the radar, and also not a lot of schools, at least in the US, had counselors that could provide talk therapy in school. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, we know that they're still still lacking, but I mean-
1: You'd be lucky if you get your transcript sent.
2: (laughs) For real though, for
1: real though. (laughs) Because they'll put like one counselor in a school with like 600 people and say, go.
2: (laughs) <laughs> which, which Can we also just do a quick pause and like, one, say yay, Counselor Sube, she's amazing. But then also, like, how amazing was it when she took Ellie and Paige out of class and told them at the same time that Ellie got the fucking uh, job? I was like, that is so mean. That's so mean. You're so awesome. <laughs>
3: Paige needs to learn a lesson,
1: but also like the fact that she literally notified them in the middle of class right. is also its own thing. Like I'm just trying to do my math. Like I don't. So could
2: cold. we do this after school?
3: Oh <laughs> this is time-sensitive God. information. That's
2: so cold. I was like, you are so awesomely brutal. Like this is this is the leadership we need at Degrassi High. <laughs> Instead, we have radish. Right. Instead.
1: <laughs> so we got terry in this uh secret admirer and toby creep creeping um but really it's you know about terry finally having somebody who actually likes her and is not going to get distracted by Paige because <laughs> that's what happened yeah. with spinner
2: right? yep terry gets a boyfriend rick
3: Should we go on to the next one
0: so that we can get on to the next one? This one, so this is episode 309, Against All Odds. And there's kind of like an A plot, B plot, C plot, but the C plot is like secretly part of one of the other plot, well, part of the other two plots. But anyway, so A plot is um, that, uh, it it opens with Emma and Sean bumping into each other and Emma noticing a hickey on Sean's neck. So clearly they are not together, even though like, I mean, like we kind of knew that it was in the offing, but it happened off screen. Um, and in class with Ms. Kwan, um, we see Ms. Kwan ask uh, about Julius Caesar and she elicits uh, a response from Sean. Sean says, what does Shakespeare have to do with my life? He was five hundred years ago, and I'm like, eh, that's a little overshooting it. But then uh, Chris, who we ha- has been kind of floating around the background uh, this season and in the credits, appears uh, to be in conversation with Emma as Emma um, looks into the into Ellie's screen or uh, screen finder or viewfinder for um, for the credits. Chris speaks up about the themes: so power, jealousy, betrayal, etc. And saying, unlike my man Slim's Shady, he actually read it. So Emma gives him (laughs) the (laughs) eyes. He's the the very best. Uh, Needed to make it into the recap. So Emma gives him the eyes In in the hallway. Chris is beatboxing. Emma makes eyes at him again. He pauses for a beat to smile at her. And then we, um, Emma, or Manny rather, is basically inviting everyone to this rave, including Craig and Emma. Uh, you know, and I'm wondering when did Manny's parents start letting her out of the house? But um, so Emma is convinced to go to the rave because Chris's cousin is the person who DJs and occasionally will let Chris do, like, spin a set at a, a rave. So. They all go to the rave and during his set, he invites Emma up on stage. She promptly hits the power button and everything is stopped. Classic. Right. Chris in his uh, attempt to comfort her and say that it's okay, kind of puts his arm around her shoulder. Then his girlfriend, Melanda uh, Melanda shows up and is very angry that he is touching Emma or Emma and he then introduces the two of them. It's very awkward. So anyway, so Emma talks to Manny. Manny's like, you know, clearly, you know, they're fighting, there's tension, you should swoop in and uh, take advantage of that breakup. Emma says that that's evil. Manny says it's evil, but effective. And, you know, basically do whatever it takes. Okay, so I'm going to switch to uh, B plot for just a second and come back to a plot in B plot. We find out that Craig and Ashley are going to be apart for the weekend because Ash is hanging out with Ellie. She's been having a hard time, which we saw in the previous episode. And, but Craig says, don't flirt with any boys basically this weekend. And Ashley reassures him that he is the only boy for her. Well, we find out that um, Manny uh, invites him to this rave says, I miss you. Craig says, we only hooked up once. And Manny basically, over the course of the episode, says, like, I'm fine being your secret. Uh, And they hook up at the rave and then go back to Emma's house. Emma gets home early because she leaves the rave early and uh, catches Craig and Manny in her bed (laughs) uh, making out. And because Manny is staying at Emma's house, basically, they kick out Craig. They fight a little, but they then go to bed. Uh, at school the next day, or at next Monday, they basically, you know, Manny doesn't want to be friends with someone who is a stuck up, stuck up, prude princess, and Emma says she doesn't want to be friends with um, Manny. And we'll talk about the language that she uses later. C plot. Okay. There's a math test. Jimmy invites Spinner and Marco over to study, and homophobia ensues to the point that. Spin is choking on spray cheese and uh, (laughs) uh,
2: Marco knows the Heimlich Uh, (laughs) is trying to
0: give him the Heimlich. But, like, Spinner is literally choking and running away from Marco because he doesn't want Marco to give him the Heimlich maneuver. Um, And, you know...
3: Because he doesn't know what the Heimlich Maneuver is.
2: Exactly, because he's so fucking stupid. (laughs) So no, that's
3: pretty
0: much it. I mean, like we can talk about more specifics later, but like, that's basically it. It's just like, it is. there is is a little bit of growth by the end of it, um, when Marco basically says like, just because I like guys doesn't mean I like all guys, you're not even that cute. And Spinner says, agree to disagree, you have bad taste. And that's kind of where we like land. (laughs) <laughs> so that's, that. yeah, so that's it.
3: Also they watch porn while working, they're watching straight porn while working on their homework.
2: <laughs> and, as, and, as, as you do. As, and Jimmy's there the whole time, still like hyping Marco up and calling Spinner out.
3: Yeah. yeah. Jimmy
1: just wants to watch his porn and do his math. He does not care about Spinner's shenanigans. Like.
0: And they
2: wonder why they're failing math. This
1: is,
0: this
2: is not the way to focus, boys. Oh god, this episode. Okay, so first
1: um this- just for clarification, Chris's girlfriend is his <clears throat> baby girl Melinda, <laughs> that we heard reference <laughs> in a previous episode. Um, we get to see her in this episode.
2: That's right. Um, this episode had me, I cackled. I counted four times with the one-liners, like it was jokes after jokes after jokes. This episode, starting with the slim shady, but kept going. And we'll talk about Marco and Skinner, but his read of Skinner's attractiveness—I was like crying from laughing so hard.
1: There, there are some some very
3: high-quality lines when Emma is getting dressed for the raid. Yes, yes, and she. I mean, so obviously I think the way the episode ends, we're probably more frustrated with Emma because of the language she uses, but I do appreciate her willingness to read herself. Like I do think that there's something about Emma, and we've talked before about her like level of confidence and part of her confidence in a lot of ways is she like knows exactly who she is and she's kind of made a certain kind of peace with that. It's a problem when she applies that lens to other people, right. but she puts on this outfit and she, does she refer to herself as being from planet white dork? Yes, and yes. Like, she, says, she says, quote,
1: <clears throat> I have no chance with Chris. It's like he's on a different planet, a cool planet. I'm on planet white dork. And then in parentheses, I wrote, girl, he's just black. (laughs) 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 Like like the show is not trying to say it, but I'm like getting like very strong, like save the last dance vibes in this episode. Like he's beatboxing in the hallway. Oh my God. He brings yes. her up on stage. At one point, he's like rhythmically drumming on her chest oh while God. they're talking. Like, it is just too much. I'm like, girl, he is just He laughing. uses her I'm chest
3: laughing. to explain how you find the beat. The rhythm, the rhythm. <laughs> uh, the rhythm, it it rabbit. Rabbit. I was <laughs> just like-
0: Because no one has ever said that before.
2: It's too much. It's too much. Oh, for sure. I mean, yes. Emma does live on planet white dork all the time, but yes. I also appreciated that Manny was
0: trying to look out for her by saying, you're not allowed to talk about environmentalism like at all.
3: Well, it's funny because I actually, one of the reasons I like Chris is that Manny says that and then Chris's opener is like, let's talk about the environment. Yeah, yeah,
1: Because
3: he's like a... He's very sweet, yes. Right? He's maybe misguided, but he's very sweet. Um, I mean, this episode really is like the two most awkward people at that wa- rave where are two white people, right? Oh, because God, yeah. if Emma looks awkward, Craig looks like he is like added via green screen when he shows up <laughs> to the rave. I was like, he's in flannel. He's really tall. He's just like the most awkward. Like, he, uh, he makes Emma look like she goes to raves every other weekend. Because Emma, <laughs>
1: yeah, you Because know. previous to going, he was chilling on the couch with Zo- Joey and Sydney, like, interrupting their alone time. And they were basically about to yeet him out the door if he didn't me. <laughs> Also,
2: can we just really fast? Craig is dressed like a 55-year-old white guy, like, at an open mic in a coffee shop. Like (laughs) he's got his page boy cap. Brendan already mentioned the flannel and the distressed leather jacket. Oh, it's bad.
0: I mean, it's just the 90s. Like he just like, he like, I don't know. He didn't have an older brother but you would
2: think it based on like his whole aesthetic. He's doing his best Aiden impression
3: yeah it's not it's interesting because it's not a joey right joey in some ways would be smoother in this context like creepy perhaps but still smoother um but yeah
1: you know craig doesn't really have he doesn't have game (laughs) he's just cute and sad he's, he has,
2: you know he is. he's
1: indie rock
2: boy mediocrity like he rides that indie rock vibe
3: yes oh he's like, and that white straight boy accidental nothing is my fault yep right he has this sort of like things happen to me
1: because this is this is like the thing like that um part of the argument That Emma and Manny end up having at the end um, Manny or Emma's like don't you feel bad for what you're doing and Manny's like Craig is the one in a relationship if he wanted to stop hooking up he would stop right but he doesn't I mean He he makes the choice to keep going to Manny he could stop but he never does.
2: No lies, no lies. Fuck Craig. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna <laughs> like, I want a T-shirt that just says "Fuck Craig," and I think it would apply to a lot of things right now. I think it works.
0: I mean, if he was like openly poly, like sure, but like that is not how like folks in grade nine work, apparently. So I mean, not apparently. It's just not.
1: <laughs> also. Can we just talk briefly about the fact that they said "whatever it takes"? In this yeah.
0: <laughs> once, once while they're while Emma's getting ready, and then like once when Manny is like trying to convince her to to go for Chris,
1: I was like, "Okay, Degrassi, I see, I see, I see what we're doing here." Oh my god!
2: Um, also, when Chris takes the mic and he goes, "See dog in the house." Uh, That's why my name today is s Dog in the corner.
1: Oh yeah, perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Also, like, I know we talked about it before, but, like, Cassie Steele is, like, super pretty in this episode. (laughs) I, like, wrote it down in my notes, like, the first time she came on screen.
2: Yo, for real, I wrote down, Manny's hair is looking so fucking good these days. Like, they finally Mm -hmm. gave her some products.
3: She's not wearing a hat, right? That's part of it. And <laughs> I wrote, Manny crazy. without a hat? Like, ever since her, like, her glow up or her sex up or whatever language you want to use, she's like, all hats, and there are multiple hatless Manny sightings in this episode, which really, you know, give a whole new flavor, but it's showing off her hair. Yeah, no, she looks, I mean, she's, clearly these kids are all going through adolescence. And I think it's a combination of her maturing and then also, yeah, their styling slowly changing mm-hmm. beyond just the shock value of the initial thing. Right. Cause she's still doing the, she's still doing the, I can see your thong thing when they're going to the rave, but it's interesting that we're past that. I do think this back and forth between her and Emma it's interesting. Obviously, I think we probably because you know Emma you ca- calls her a slut at the end. I mean that's what Tiffany referred to. But I think the substance of this argument that they have throughout this kind of ongoing argument is actually really interesting. I think we probably land on Manny's side for the most part because Emma is just so frustrating. But I do think it's interesting how like this the goalposts get moved because she's not in this episode saying, "Oh my God." Manny, are you going to go to the rave dressed like that? She's like, Manny, dress me like this, right? In some ways, Manny is a version of who she could be. It just doesn't work for her, but she doesn't know that she could just right. say that. Well,
0: and like, I mean, because, like, I think that it's very clear in the way that they wear the clothes. I mean, like, and I mean, there's so Emma's outfit is this—I uh, can't remember if it's a pink top and a blue bottom, or a blue top and, but she's wearing like a skirt and like blue top. Oh, okay, yeah, so like a kind of like a. I don't know, fancy tank cut, but like top. Um, it's not a tank top, but you know, it's sleeveless top, um, kind of gathered in the front um, in a v neck and, and a, you know, like a mid thigh uh, pink skirt. Um, but like the way that she styled, like she, like she is clearly, she has not come into like her, first of all, her own style, but also like dress up style, but also like, makeup like she's just like it's very clear that she is trying in a way that manny is not i mean like obviously it takes effort to be a woman um in, in in our society but i mean like i just think that like manny has figured out a way that that our society appreciates of looking fairly effortless in it or at least like comfortable in it in a way that emma just doesn't
2: yeah, she's, she's
1: got that lived in femininity vibe, whereas Emma doesn't. Yeah, and when they're getting ready to go to the rave, which sidebar, I did not go, into, go to any raves in high school. Apparently I was not living my life right based on watching Degrassi and Skins, but I digress. Um, <laughs> when they get ready to go to the rave and Manny starts to go up the stairs and, emma is shimmying out the window and manny is like what what are you doing and emma says it's easier to go out this way than to have to explain my bootylicious makeover to my mother and i was like bootylicious makeover the power of beyonce coming through it's
2: true though that that didn't that yeah that's right with the timeline also like Emma's dressed how a lot of people would just be to go to church. Like just as an aside, like Emma's like scantily clad outfit is like fully covered. It's like a dress she yeah, just I mean, dressed
3: up. Yeah, I mean it's it's it she doesn't I think what Tiffany was saying is true. Like she doesn't look bad. She just doesn't look like herself and she looks uncomfortable right. in it. At the Thank end you. when she comes home in the cab, like that's when she looks the most relaxed because she's like, we just see her from far away and she's just like paying and going inside. And something about that, she looks the most relaxed. She wasn't performing for anyone. There's no one looking at her. Um, I would say, I feel like Emma does have a style. Her style is just younger. It's very layered. It's very fitted. We, we don't like it. It's not flashy, right? I do think there's a lot of like she's always wearing like three shirts on top of each other and lots of spaghetti straps or something underneath. Um,
2: Don't forget all to, of her cargo pants.
3: Like, yeah, I mean, and it's very yeah, it's like a post, like post, 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 post purchasable punk, like, but also horse girl sort of. Yeah, I read, like, it, as,
2: <laughs> I read it. as as I read it as Manny's Christina Aguilera. Uh, Emma, wow. hold up, and Emma, oh, Emma is Sarah McLaughlin, like
0: more though, Mandy I'm... Moore. Okay, like,
2: like. Wow.
3: I think there would be more. There there's, would be more skirts, there's right? A because a lot of the
2: less fair by of, by Yeah, I mean, she yeah. does feel
1: very much like she feels very much like the character of the person in the movie who is like on the college campus talking about like the Earth Club or something. Totally. Like that is what she dresses like. Like if you imagine what that character looks like, that's what Emma dresses. She's the like.
2: person cutting up the rings in Can't Hardly Wait who calls Preston yes. a sheep. Um, Sarah Root who's played by Sarah <laughs>
0: Root. I love like that that she's like- Oh, yeah, but yes, I think you. that like for, for me, the thing that comes to mind for Emma's style is aspirationally crunchy. Like she like wants to sort of like be that hippie, but like clearly like, you know, like the cargo pants maybe are just off and like maybe the spaghetti strap tops are just off. But like, it's like, that's what she's going for. She just doesn't have like the exact right wardrobe to like make that work.
2: Yeah, she, was she's like
1: two small steps away from from
3: the farmer's market.
2: Exactly. She She's still breaking in her sheepskin clogs.
3: Yeah, I mean, she's also the daughter, right? She was a, of a teen mom who was a wild right. child who has gone through a couple waves. of I do think there's something about her, like, having to self-parent a little bit and, and sort yeah. of some of maybe what happens with some of it is just slut-shaming. I mean, it's mm-hmm. awful sludge shaming and the language she uses is awful. Some of it is also, I feel like, and there's this strain with Emma often of like, and it's never quite connected of like, I don't want to be my, like the version of my mother that I, and maybe even my mother have self narrated to me was a mistake or quote, mm-hmm. air quotes. Cause that is that strain of like, I was right. a mistake, my mom was a wild child. I don't want to have hair like her. I don't want to be wild like her. And so there's an extreme, I mean, it could be a lot more extreme, crossed with this sort of she is our white environmentalist lady with her clogs. Planet Dork. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I also think, you know, I am like solidly team manny in most things. However, it is very much a friendship foul to leave your friend at a rave yes. that you took her to, to go home with a boy and hook up with the boy in your friend's bed. Thank you. Like, Thank a, you, just there, that. There are several errors
2: happening. This is why I actually don't land on team Manny in this episode. I land in maybe Emma a little bit because Manny, that was really fucking shitty the night before. But like, I also land in, um, y'all need some space from each other because you both need to work some things out.
3: Yeah, I do think you're right. Maybe, oh, sorry. I think it's the the use of the word slut and I'm thinking about it now. I think it's, that isn't really what Emma is mad about, right? I think Emma is mad about like what you guys said, the friend betrayal, but she doesn't have a language to say that. Mm-hmm. And it's easy language to go to sleep because that's an easier sort of simplistic narrative. Oh, you're sleeping as opposed and because her and Manny's friendship isn't in a place anymore where Manny could say to her, I mean what Manny desperately needs is a version of Emma that would say, Is this what you want?
2: Right.
3: Is this what you want to be doing? Do you really think this right. is gonna pan out for you?
2: Right. right. Do you think do you think Craig deserves you? Like what about Craig is good enough for you?
0: Well, she also doesn't really know about Craig until this episode and what the, like, I I think I agree with Sonnet, like, I'm not really firmly in either camp here by the end of the episode, but I think that, like, Emma has shown Manny through words and actions that she's not willing to be the friend that Manny needs in this moment to disclose enough to get advice from Emma. Yep. And so, like, absent anybody else, I mean, clearly not, like, family isn't going to be available Mm -hmm. to talk about this stuff. And because Emma has been her closest friend, like from at least the beginning of the show, but we also know from before that, like, if Emma can't be that person because Manny is afraid that she's going to get judged by Emma, like, then that's that's a really big friendship fail.
1: They need to go see the counselor. They really do. For sure. They're friendship counseling.
2: They've needed it for like a Basically, since this series started, they've needed
3: to have some mediation. I think also Emma has become sort of friends with Ashley too, right? That's the other yeah. piece right. Here, right? Is that Ashley and Emma have similar sort of social issues, leanings. And also Craig and Ashley have become this sort of very visible couple. So it mm-hmm. is a lot to process all in one night. And as much as Emma is leaning on Manny to go to this rave and make her look a certain kind of way. I also think that this is Emma attempting to do the Manny thing for Manny, right? This night is in some ways Emma's attempt to go with Manny to let her make her over, to let her, to sort of lean into Manny's, Oh boys. Oh, like let's, let's, let's pursue our crushes. Let's go out. Let's be adults. And so I think there is something about like, then to discover that actually, oh, behind this is this other thing that feels really reprehensible is just, I mean, if we want to switch to the other plot, or the, the third plot, the I mean, meanwhile, Jimmy is just like everyone's, is like the best friend.
2: Jimmy is such a good friend.
3: When they're watching the porn, and he, turn, he turns it off because he's like, oh, Marco won't want to watch that at straight porn. And then Marco's like, I'm fine. <laughs> and then spinner can't understand that you would look at men in porn and listen then jimmy, listen and then jimmy and marco are just like comparing the men and the women yeah. it's delightful it's so cute But listen so
1: spinner and is is perplexed because marco marco's like i wasn't looking at the women and spinner is just the look of confusion and he's like what what were you looking at then and Marco says, "The drapes spin. The drapes."
0: green <laughs> Spinner's like looking at the screen and trying to figure out why he's looking at the drapes. Like, what's so interesting about the drapes?
1: And and Jimmy has to be like, he's looking at the guys. God.
3: <laughs> I do. I mean, after the trauma of the Pride episode, the fact that homophobia is like the joke of the whole episode. I mean, is so delightful, like, as a, cur- not, I mean, there are things that are really important about that Pride episode. But we talked about how, like, it's a lot of, like, gay is trauma. Here it's, like, homophobia is is just a laugh. Like, you, so if you dumb. don't, it's so dumb. And it, and also that they even go to the, like, the classic straight guy doesn't understand why the gay, likes. first he thinks he must like him, and then when he doesn't like him, he's like, well, I'm really hot. And then, you know, Marco does his read of his shoes and his hair, and it's delightful all of it is I mean yeah they land at the end it's not a it's not ideal but it is this like spinner at least will talk to Marco as a person who has desires that he can connect with about that part all it takes is a group porn session
2: apparently and and an accidental drop of the arm off the couch right because that's the other thing. Spinner's so worried about Marco touching him. Meanwhile, Jimmy and Marco are, like, leaning on each other, having a kiki about the porn. And it's so cute. And then Spinner's like, oh, I can't even let him touch my leg with his leg. Oh. Yeah. Um, also, Spinner does say "gaiosity." That was one of the things that I was like, I love. What is this gaiosity, And how do I get some? Yeah. Um,
0: Can can we talk about the read, though? He says, your hair is so last year, your shoes don't match, and they smell, and you're not even that cute. It's just like, boom, 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 fuck you. (laughs) Like,
1: it is like... Consistent viewers of the show already know that Spinner is a smelly boy, so... That's
2: true. Also, I love that Jimmy, like, at some point... Jimmy, re, like, part of the joke is that Jimmy's like, no, I wouldn't have sex with Spinner. He's fucking disgusting. So why would Mar- Marco have sex with Spinner? But at the point, Jimmy also has molded this over and been like, ew, no. <laughs> it also, I just, I
0: appreciated Jimmy, like, like, clearly this is a, is a, an, a sort of like artificially constructed event the sleepover because this is the first time that jimmy has reached out to spinner in this kind of way since the their big blow up about the mp3 player and so when he invites spinner over to study for this test quote unquote uh heavy scare quotes on that spinner's a little bit surprised but then he's like oh and also we're gonna bring marco over too so i mean like I I appreciated Jimmy in this moment for setting aside his beef with Spinner in order to like help make right this relationship that has kind of started to fall apart because of Spinner's homophobia. So I just like Jimmy is just like a treasure in these couple of episodes that that we'll be talking about today. Um in in, in several ways. But I, I just like I appreciated his proactivity in in sort of making this situation happen and facilitating it throughout when you know when spinner is going off the rails
3: yeah he's very straightforward i think that's jimmy's virtue do we want to move to the next episode because i think it connects to this yeah i think
0: it's a it's a good segue so the next episode is never going to give you up and this is where we in our a plot um we get um we get more of the relationship that has budded from the secret admirer situation that we talked about uh, in 308. So we open up and Miss Kwan is now also doing the theater class, I guess. Um, And it turns out that Marco has written a play, that there are different groups that are going to do a play, but Marco has written a play, but because he wrote it, he didn't want to be the director. So Jimmy takes on that role because he doesn't want to act. Marco and Hazel will be actors. Terry will be the lead in in the play, and Ricky will be stage manager because apparently, dramatur. You know, like the theater is in his blood because his mom worked in the theater or something. But he ends up back, site, uh, backseat driving. Jimmy's directing, uh, saying that he's a first time director and and sort of undermining uh, a lot of Jimmy's directing decisions. They meet after school at the dot, um, which I think that this is the first episode where we really um, spend some time in the dot, um, which is the after school hangout. Um, this is also where Spinner works, which we'll talk about also later. So um, basically, Rick condescendingly says first time directing is hard. So like there's clearly tension between these two characters. And Rick is jealous of Terry's friendship with Jimmy. Terry says that they like have been friends forever. And um, jimmy says to hazel that rick creeps him out but isn't really specific about why but it's clear that he is frustrated with rick's backseat um directing Um, but also at the dot rick changes terry's order from a burger to a salad uh and and she takes it as a sign that he is always looking out for her in the performance terry's performance kind of switches halfway because You know, at first she's taking Jimmy's direction, but then she makes eye contact with Rick um, halfway through the performance and switches to his method of breathing and also like fully facing the audience, uh, even though they call it a three-quarter, which is, I mean, which is a a legit thing for the theater, but that is not what she is doing. Um, But afterward, Terry is crying um, because she says, quote, I look like an idiot because of you. Rick grabs her and basically says, don't say that, um, because it makes him feel like an idiot. The next day, he's waiting for her to get off the bus to give her flowers and and make up and apologize and say that he was jealous of Jimmy. Um, And she says, he doesn't like me like that. But Rick says, you're smart and beautiful and talented. Can you blame me for thinking that he likes you? So meanwhile, like Paige and Hazel are also sort of like asking a lot of questions about Rick and they make plans to hang out with Terry after school. Terry says, I have to check with Rick, um, which is a little bit off for Paige and Hazel. Um, But when she when Terry does ask Rick, um, he gets really jealous and possessive and paranoid and he slaps her at Paige and uh, with Paige and Hazel. Terry is like trying to say that everything is good. But Hazel, who had earlier seen the bruise on her wrist, also asked about, um, there's a cut on her, the corner of her lip where um, from where he slapped her. At school the next day, we see her and Jimmy, uh, oh wait, no, nope, Paige, uh, Haze, Hazel digs deeper. Uh, Terry calls her jealous, walks away, but when she gets home, he's waiting for her and tries to make a rule that she only sees Paige and Hazel during school she says no and he shoves her and then she says you're never going to touch me again so well, that's the end of that um apparently and at school the next day we see her and jimmy part ways like it's clear that she's been talking to him about it they hug terry says that she feels like an idiot but hazel says it's okay it's her first relationship and she wanted it to work out you'll find someone when you're ready and then terry says if i'm ever so the b plot spinner really resents jt hanging around Paige. Spinner tries to bully JT away and has an increasing set of pranks uh, until JT pays him back by going to the dot and sitting in his section and basically giving him a really hard time to the point that, that Spinner gets violent with him and he gets in trouble at work, gets demoted. they basically find some way at the end to, to sort of resolve it. But like... Uh, part of that resolution is that JT isn't going to hang around as much um, with Paige. So yeah, it's like, it's a, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it was fully resolved. I can't, I can't quite remember. So that's the episode.
2: Well, and Spinner, Spinner decides he's against JT after being goaded by fucking Craig again. Who mm-hmm. he's, Craig is like the puppet master here because he's whispering in Spinner's ear, we got to get rid of JT because Craig is jealous of JT flirting with Manny because Craig is a piece of shit.
3: Spinner and Craig is a bad, that those two, those two should, they need to be paired with Jimmy or with Marco. Like that is mm-hmm. like in this friend square, The best advice comes from Jimmy or Marco. Jimmy Mm -hmm. is the most pragmatic. Marco is a good, like, relationship person. Mm -hmm. And then Spinner is just an idiot, like, literally an idiot. And Craig is just, like, has these, like, 1950s ideas of possession, but he thinks he's a good guy. Like mm-hmm. I think in some ways Craig is creepier to me than Spinner yeah. broadly because Craig doesn't realize it. And Spinner Spinner is like the guy who's like, why are you saying I'm a racist? I know I said some racist things. Whereas Craig's the guy who's like, I, I'm not racist. How could I be racist? I just make choices. Right? I, think, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, we've said before, because, Spinner is Craig- teachable.
1: Because Craig is the one at the beginning of the episode when Spinner talks about his annoyance with JT, Craig's like, "Well, just make him go away." And I was like, "What? What? Right. <laughs> Sorry, what? How you like this is uh, like you don't just tell your girlfriend's friends to go away." Right. <laughs>
2: Craig. <laughs> Craig is Iago over here, like some fears.
3: <laughs> oh. He's the And also, yeah, I mean, it's. What's interesting too is, I mean, the JT Page relationship, right, has been there before. We've talked before about this relationship that at first is just like one of JT's sort of like abstract crushes, but then at the end of season two is really about this like mentor mentee, but also he's the person that she's able in some ways to disclose some stuff to that she's only really discloses to him and Hazel. And he's just, I mean, obviously there's still a, like a guy and a girl, but he doesn't, I mean, I feel like we've passed through that part of their friendship mm-hmm. and it only is, it's this like Spinner doesn't know how to be in a relationship and chill out. And also the, the pranks are very homophobic, right? Spinner's first initial thing is to make it look like JT has a crush on Radich And it's, like, not explicitly homophobic, but the – I don't know. It was very weird.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, I think we are seeing growth, obviously, with JT overall, right? Because we do see him hanging out with Paige's friends. We know, like, to some extent he's crushing on Manny, but he does seem to compliment her on a daily basis, which she seems to like, which is progress from – previous seasons of JT and, and like we can t- see that he's having some growth, but also like entering into a prank situation with JT just seems like a poor choice because he is like a giant goofball. And so his first response is to pants spinner. <laughs> <in the head. laughs> And Spinner's wearing these boxers that have hearts all over them. <laughs> Obviously, his honey bear gave them to him. But also, there has to have been... tear
0: They have to have been tear-away pants because, like, his pants don't yeah. end up yep. at his ankles. Like, JT literally runs away with them. Um, if I can go back for a minute, uh, actually, and um, talking about Spinner and his response, like, at least at the beginning, before Craig sort of whispers in his ear, I mean, he... You know he is he does say well jt was there for paige last year so like he doesn't like he does not disclose mm-hmm. to craig whatever but like i mean he understands like that they have a relationship that is built on you know trust and 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 being there for one another and craig is just like no you got to get rid of him <laughs> so i just I, yeah craig is awful
1: Craig knows all about triangles, doesn't he? (laughs) Doesn't he? Doesn't
3: he? I will. I I am glad this episode and the last episode, Miss Kwan is back. And uh, you mentioned Miss Kwan teaching theater. I think in the last seasons, it was just that they did theater performances in English class because there was that. They never
1: said it was theater. No, in
3: this class they do, but they never, because. I was, I, my notes, I was like, this class is always so intense whenever they do theater because there was <laughs> that theater performance, right? Where Craig and Ashley right. realized they had feelings and Hazel and Jimmy could have had feelings, but then it just sort of was scuttled. Um, and it's never, it's the most high stakes, like theater. <laughs> scene like I, work. Took,
1: I took theater in, class, in high school and it was, it was not like this.
3: Maybe you need to work on your breathing. (laughs) Poor Terry. Okay,
1: Okay. Uh, Terry, Terry, Terry's going through some things uh, here in many ways. I just, like, I was so
0: happy when they, like, first of all, brought Terry back two episodes ago, and then, like, it was very cute. It was a very cute little crush situation. She had a secret admirer. He's being sweet and putting roses. I mean, we see this now in retrospect as being precursor to like overly possessive, possibly stalkerish, like tendencies. But like, I mean, why could we not have just given her a, a sweet storyline? I know that that's not what this show is about, but like yeah. you couldn't even give her like an episode where she we actually see her In a happy situation, we immediately had to go to, like, physical and emotional abuse. Like, it escalated so quickly, and they just didn't give
2: any time to
0: sort of enjoy happiness for her. Like, it it immediately has to go into her sort of, like, triaging, like... Physical evidence and sort of like explaining away and like working through how to like talk to friends or not talk to friends or hiding or lying. And it just, mm-hmm. I just, mm-hmm. it made me sad. That's all. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think that like, um, like back then, I, when I first watched Degrassi, I probably didn't pay it as much attention to the pacing of it, but like watching it like this, I'm like, <clears throat> we should have had at least a little bit more time to, at the very least be invested in Rick, right? right? Because the part of like the drama of it all, I think should be in like having some investment in their relationship. And
3: we just don't really get enough of that, I think. I do, yeah, I mean, I lo- I think, if only there was like one, even just one more episode, because in the episode we talked about at the beginning of this episode where we meet Rick, there's a shyness to him, right? And he's very sweet. Like he presents, I think that there, it's very smart to have him not be someone that the viewer would be like, well, obviously that guy's creepy, right? Like, right, right. I think that that is really smart, but I do think you're right that like, He's not
1: Dean snarking with yeah, his I mean, laptop. Like, he's uh... not a villain.
3: He's not the he's <laughs> not like the the high school TV version of like a Gaston character where you're like that person's evil.
2: But right. it does happen
3: so fast, especially compared to it doesn't have the balance of like the first episode we talked about today, where like we see Ellie's progression in a way that compresses time, but also makes it feel like a lot has happened. Like Mm -hmm. the progression weird to understand is within like a, a four day span, right. With her and Rick with the play and this cycle of abuse and apology and control. And yeah, I mean that, and the guy who plays Rick, I think is very creepy, charming, right. Charming, but then retrospectively creepy. And that could have been, yeah, me, hand it out more because then it just really emphasizes this idea that this show has that Terry's character is the one to feel sorry for. She feels right. Sorry right. For what
0: makes me very angry about like the way like because because she hasn't had any other storyline this I almost said semester but this season because she hasn't yeah she is there to feel sorry for and I mean the other thing too is I think that like. I know that this this show is invested in a in I mean I, I wouldn't call the show like didactic in it's more sort of like successful episodes but there's definitely a pedagogy to to Degrassi mm-hmm. they are invested in making sure that that viewers walk away with a particular understanding about like what is and isn't acceptable particularly in social situations or in relationships and so like I think that. In one way, I think that it's good to show that a cycle of abuse is a thing that you should talk to counselors, friends about, and find your way out of. However, I think that the disservice that the compre- that the 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 escalate the fast escal- escalation to it is there is a way in which, like when this happens in real life, that there is a. a a more subtle seduction um, and into that pattern that I think could really have been explored more in a way like like a a more realistic depiction would have actually been better for what are the warning signs. I mean, I think that the one that like stood out the most for me is when he said I don't want you hanging out with Paige and Hazel outside of school. So right. there like the sort of like social isolation of people is a really good control mechanism that that you know abusers really rely on and so like I think that like an exploration of that could have been a lot more helpful in in more storyline. And maybe it would be a two-parter. I'm not saying like over the course of the season, but like, it just seems so fast and unrealistically fast.
2: Right. And similarly to, I, you know, I was thinking also about the, the Marco Spinner, like homophobic violence episode where they gave Spinner some complexity in his homophobia, not that he's complex, but they at least gave the viewer a little bit more of a background on why Spinner's doing the things he's doing. Rick is a bad guy. Like he, like Dean, is just bad. And what's unfortunate about that to go to build on what you're saying, Tiffany, is it also doesn't explain how toxicity in relationships isn't always that cut, straightforward and clear cut. And oftentimes Like I think about Craig and Manny's relationship as being a very emotionally toxic relationship, especially for Manny. But we're never we never see it as that. We never see the sort of emotional um, violence that Manny undergoes with with Craig, right? So you know, we're we're taught as young viewers, when you're in an unhealthy relationship, it looks like Rick and Terry, not it looks like Manny and Craig. And with the Manny narrative, it's more like, well, she's the other woman, like that's the narrative. And it's not like, well, this is actually really unhealthy and emotionally destructive. Um, I think,
1: I also think like part of this, that sort of is implied, but doesn't necessarily get fully named, which makes sense. But is also important. Is like, Rick is preying on Terry because she is vulnerable, right? Because she has never had a, boyfriend before because he means so much to her as her first boyfriend and he can see that he can see the dynamic that she has with her relationship with her friends he can see her issues with her body image and and things that have sort of been challenging her there and he is using that against her and i think like that is an important part of it too that doesn't necessarily get explicitly drawn out in their conversations with her friends but is also like a key part of the whole relationship dynamic
2: totally yeah there's also some weird like there are also undercurrents of anti-blackness in rick as well like in the way that he when when Paige says she was talking to hazel specifically and was talking about hazel's reaction like he said yeah go fit like not surprising like he basically is aggressively anti-jimmy and hazel
3: (laughs) i mean yeah i do think there's i think it's that and in this episode right hazel is always like such a good friend when they choose to put her in an episode (laughs) Right um, and so she and Jimmy function as her as the 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 confidants in this episode too um I think the black anti-blackness is submerged. I think part of what happens that also speaks to the lack of pacing is there is a suggestion that Rick was a creep, but there's a trigger to all of his actions and that trigger is that he's jealous of Jimmy as if in this episode, within this week, he realized that they were friends, right? There is an implied, like, I'm jealous of Jimmy, and that's why I'm suddenly abusive and controlling. Whereas, to go back to Tiffany's point, like a lot of these more visually milder but still controlling mechanisms, it's not like they would start one day, right? Like, this would be a pattern for weeks, right? For weeks, maybe they'd go out to eat, and Rick would sort of cutesy, but really push her to eat her, right? Like here it's, there is a way the narrative suggests, like they're put in a group. Rick realizes that Jimmy is, Rick doesn't like Jimmy. Rick suddenly wants to control Terry more. That at first I thought like, I think partly because at the beginning of the episode you don't know where it's going. And I thought it was just, oh, it almost seems like it's Rick is just jealous of Jimmy. And so once that was in my head as a viewer, It took me a while to understand what the episode wanted to do, which was actually be like, no, the problem is Rick, not this sort of stupid jealousy thing that because it's a teen show, we're primed to see. First of
1: all, if I want a burger, I want a damn burger (laughs) and you're not changing it to a salad, sir especially in high school like even now no but especially in high school if i want a burger i want a burger that's that's that uh but like yeah i think also a character like rick could have just been annoying, right? Like we we know people, you probably, or you may have been people, you've had the interaction, oh, you know, my mom's a doctor and she told me this. And so I know all about this and blah, blah, blah. Like he is that character, but with theater. And that's annoying, but it's not like terrible, right? Uh, he could have been that character, but Especially also, in high school. <laughs> right, it's, it's much more than that, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of condescension when he's talking to Jimmy that doesn't feel like posturing, like it truly feels- He keeps calling him Jim. (laughs) Yes, he he misnames him, and he also, I mean, it is a sort of, he, he doesn't think Jimmy's up for the job, like he doesn't respect Jimmy's abilities, and it's not because, I don't think it's just because of jealousy, like I think Rick truly believes that he is the smartest person in the room.
1: And he talks about he's like, oh, he's a novice director. I'm like, first of all, y'all are sixteen. I'm gonna need you to just relax a little bit.
0: How many plays have you directed? Like, what? It, it, just because you watched other people do it doesn't mean anything.
3: How many times have you trod the boards? Uh,
2: he gives me such red pill, MRA, QAnon vibe. I just <laughs> maybe that's why we're getting so much anti-blackness in this is because. Rick now is a full-fledged pop culture trope in 2020. um, And
1: and like, it might've been different also, if it had been like Terry's friendship with Spinner, which is actually someone she used to have a crush on, which would have been a different dynamic, but he's seeing Jimmy as the threat in particular. right?
3: Yeah, I mean, Spinner's too busy being in the other plot, being a bully, but the show (laughs) can't decide if, like, the show has now decided that Spinner is where we put our, like, solvable male impulses, right? So, like... He's where our solvable homophobia lives. He's where our solvable possession. I mean, there is a way in which these two storylines is like the bad possession and the goofy, quirky, you just bully a younger child, like a younger person. He's only a year younger, but even with his growing, JT is much smaller. Right. Than Spinner. Mm-hmm. And at first I didn't like Spinner coming or Jimmy or JT coming to Spinner's work and sort of messing with his job. But also it's like that's the only place where JT has this power. Yeah. Right. He's mm-hmm. in this scenario. And sure, we can talk about the fact that like Spinner needs that job and that's been clearly established. But it is also like JT has very little social power. Right. And that's partly why he's a creep sometimes. And I but I do think that, like we said, JT has had some growth. The compliments with Manny feel very reciprocated at this point. Right. There's almost like a dance, but they—the dance feels two-sided. It's yeah. no longer lecherous, and right. so Spinner is trying to control his girlfriend too. It's obviously not at the level of Rick, but right? It is a- gross,
1: right. right? And and like there's a there's a saying, right, that goes, you know. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And that's what <laughs> Spinner's doing here, right? He's playing a stupid game, and it's coming to his work <laughs> to give him his prize. Like, no,
2: that though, is what's happening. I wrote in my notes during the restaurant scene: JT is a wonderful, hilarious little monster. <laughs> <laughs> like, And not in a pejorative way. I'm like, you are the most amazing terror right now. And I'm so afraid of you.
0: Well, and I also, I appreciate, well, uh, I don't know about appreciate, but I I giggled at Paige's framing of like male bonding and, and like y- you just need to go through like whatever male bonding and Spinner reiterates that as like his justification when he is talking to JT and JT runs with it. And, and I, I like your point Brennan about the, Restaurant where Spinner works is being the only place that he is able to exert any kind of power, and I think that like, you know, it sucks that it went as far as it did, and that that Spinner is out sort of like tip money, you know, and that sort of thing potentially because he gets demoted to a dishwasher. But also, I mean, I I, I just hope that like Spinner actually like learned something from it and and understands that if he feels that he is able to sort of wield power over people, that there is always some way in which they can also wield power back on on him. And so like maybe, I don't know, just fucking golden rule that shit, you
2: know? Like don't- But also the, the lesson is also, don't listen to your friends. Like that's, that's the real lesson, like. Well, if your friend is Craig, <laughs> then yeah. don't, yeah, don't, listen don't to be voted into stupid feuds. Craig is
0: the little devil, he's not the angel.
3: <laughs> and also manage your anger, right? The other thing that happens yeah. in that wrestling scene, right, is JT is all joke and he pushes, right? JT for all of his stuff, his leash is much longer, right? Spinner gets a like Spinner's outburst is what causes it right and in an episode about people men or young boy like young men teenager men who don't know how to manage their anger he makes it an episode right he could have just they could have just I mean they could have just gone it's like the like Sesame Street thing where Grover keeps getting or Grover is the waiter and the guy keeps flipping out right so the problem is that the person flips out right. right and makes the scene right and even at the end when he sends the card right so spinner sends a card to to Mr. radich that's a much higher issue the card to quan is almost like a continuation of the like the centuries long feud between spinner and quan it's almost like i mean it's you know it could get him in trouble but it's not. Well, right. It's the same it's,
0: way. it's it's actually funnier, um, because we understand. I mean, like clearly, like JT and Radich have had run-ins, and Spinner and Quan have had run-ins. But Miss Quan has a much better sense of humor than Raditch does. And so, like, like even that, like, I mean, this sort of recapitulation of the same joke like back to Spinner is better done like it's funnier and because we know that that Miss I mean Miss Kwan's reaction is amazing uh, when she like comes up and like hands it back to him and she's just like she has a good sense of humor about it and she probably she I think she understands it probably was not Spinner but she's still going to hand it back to him personally and do like play her part in the humiliation um, so I just like I very much this is a love letter to Miss Kwan from me actually but uh I I just think that like even in sort of like doing quote unquote the same thing JT does it better like he just has yeah
1: because this is his wheelhouse right like JT can go on with this sort of thing forever yeah that's what he does yeah i
2: mean they're they're probably like in this fictional world they're in their 30s now and jt is still sending people love letters from spinner
0: don't start a prank war with a prankster exactly
1: right right like if he wanted to start like a like a fight club then maybe <laughs> that <would> be- <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I don't know. I kept writing in my notes. These young women deserve so oh, much yeah. better. Like, at one of the episodes needs to be these women deserve better. Like, because that's the one. That's oh, I mean, we, we did that
1: in our in our first. We did like, many episodes. We and did Liberty and, and Terry. Terry. Oh yeah, we right. part two that's as well.
2: Right. So. right. Is, I think this There's is my- part two. No, this would be part three. There's, there's better part three. All right. It's a legacy. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, I wrote in my notes at the end, these these episodes are doing so much with the young women in terms of having them be the brunt of all the violence. Young women and Marco being the brunt of all the violence, all the hate, all the stuff. Like, can we please have an episode where a straight cis man suffers? Like, actually suffers. <laughs> I guess the Sean episode a little bit, but like, I'm just like, God
3: damn. I mean, it's weird that we hate, not hate, well, hate. We strongly dislike (laughs) Craig right now, because he, last season, that was his, like, that was his bed noir, right? Was we got episode after episode about that, where it was like physical and emotional abuse, right?
2: We got two episodes. We got it, w- it was a two part episode.
3: But that was conti- It's the season started with it, that's right? True. Right. The arc of the season yeah. was. Yeah. We meet him coming out of that. Then he goes away from his dad. Yeah. Because that's how he ends up with Joey. Um, I do think that I would be interested that the show could actually connect to those dots. Yeah. Right. Because I think that. Joey is lovely, but Joey doesn't quite see it because Craig's fucked up masculinity doesn't manifest as either outwardly violent or creepy, right? It is this it is this sort of, oh, I can't control things. It's the like it's the like straight man who texts you an hour before and is like, does three work? Because it works for me, but I'm not gonna plan for you, right? It's like that in a nutshell is the like Craig version of this.
1: Well, and I also think, like, obviously, like I said, you know, Craig doesn't have any games, so they don't have that necessarily in common, but Joey does see a lot of himself in Craig, and I think that also presents a problem, because Joey, I mean, if you look at old episodes, if you look at Degrassi High, like, Joey, Joey made some choices that were not great, um, and I mean, you know, he wasn't terrible, but, like, I think he does see a lot of that in Craig, and so sometimes he can give advice on that, but sometimes I think he also just wants to be like,
2: "Hey, cool, yeah." He can't, be here, he can't be here for the stripper, Craig, <laughs> but we're gonna hire a stripper.
3: <laughs> I would, in your request for male uh, trauma sonic. I know. Uh, I was
2: like, well, I guess like to,
3: pa- to boil it down. Uh, the other thing I would like is I really liked the first episode we talked about today, the Ellie episode, I'm still waiting for a Marco has a home life. Marco has a family. Yeah. Marco is dealing with this in some way. Um, I'm still like, I'm glad Ellie got that episode. But I also, as I noted, like in that episode, Marco's gain is even there is a slight impediment to Ellie's happiness.
2: Right. Marco mm-hmm. isn't
3: listening to her because he is looking at Paige's brother I like that's because
1: because like Dylan
2: took off a hoodie or something. I mean, I
1: was like, "How okay?" I mean, his shirt got
2: caught in the hoodie. We were all looking at Dylan in that moment. Oh my! Uh, No, but like, yeah. I, the the other thing with that scene, yeah, it's it it is Marco's gain, Ellie's loss. But also, Ashley would have been distracted with Craig. Like any of the other characters would have also done something to make Ellie feel alone and alienated. It just sucks that it was only Mar- Marco, and it was a punchline when Paige says, of, "Oh, straight. what is it? she say something about? Oh, the the life of a straight." girl or something like that like she makes a joke. oh yeah she says
1: something about how it must hurt for ellie to see marco fawning over dylan
3: or something like right. that so should we talk about our favorite things yeah i mean i have mine i actually wrote mine down this week manny's white knit hat there what's yours tiffany go
0: tear away pants in high school I dated a guy who wore tearaway pants. They're very funny and I just really enjoyed it because like ostensibly they're just jeans, but they're not. They're tearaway pants because it's the only way the scene works.
1: I had some tearaway pants and they were great but also paranoia inducing because they tear away. Oh no. <laughs> um I just have and appreciation for Paige's smart woman glasses (laughs) that she puts on when she's going to have an interview. And Ashley's like, since when do you wear glasses? Uh, And Paige is wearing like her business suit and she's got glasses and that's great. And also just the fact that Armstrong in the matter of a class period, apparently graded quizzes and gave them back to them before they went to lunch. Like, I don't know what kind of, I used to teach middle school, so I don't know what kind of timetable he's on, but I never gave a quiz and then immediately gave it
2: back in the the same day. And there are 30 people in that class. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Mine is, um, so the reason Toby explains that he's doing the, the experiment was he referenced Terry's tarot cards. So Terry's tarot cards Still happening. Her side hustle is still alive and well. It's a great narrative to continue.
3: And the way Miss Miss Kwan says Gavin. <laughs> uh,
2: I also said Marco's wig, because he and Ashley are sharing a wig in these episodes. <laughs> Maybe also the way that Marco has to keep saying, Mama. <laughs>
1: the play. <laughs> he did, you know what? He did that to himself. He wrote
0: that shit. So, like, that's his own fault.
3: So, my prediction, maybe it's just a hope, is Liberty, and I wrote her name in all caps, <laughs> and I put it in a square, and then I put question marks underneath it. So, now that I've requested Terry, I'm praying for some Liberty. Liberty, okay. Liberty, Liberty. Maybe, that's all Maybe I
2: Liberty will read Rick to Filth.
0: That would be great. Oh my god! Yeah, I would love that.
3: Any predictions, Tiffany?
0: I don't know. I felt like just really drained after these episodes, and just like anything happy, please. Like I, you know, I don't know. As a prediction as like a hope, <laughs> a, a prayer, a small prayer at the end of
2: this these episodes. But right. we'll see if that happens. All right. I'm surprised. I'm surprised neither of you hoped for an Emma Chris shipping. I mean,
3: oh, I mean the relationships.
2: First, he got to get rid of his baby
1: girl, Melinda.
3: (laughs) I mean, on the relationship front, I mean, Crashly gonna Crashly, and like Crashly. Oh
1: yeah, no, this is that is is
0: headed right for a very large tree. That car. iceberg.
3: Yeah, Uh, a very large tree iceberg.
0: But if any of that happens, (laughs) thanks for spending time with us, and have a. Good day, all Bye.
3: On this super-sized
2: episode. <laughs> Bye. Whatever
3: it, Whatever it takes. I don't like a no. That's not
2: how you get a boyfriend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for spending time with us again. Be sure to find and follow us on your social platform of choice. We're on Twitter at ThatBleepingPod and Facebook and Instagram at ThatBleepingPodcast. And please share the good bleeping words with friends, family, random acquaintances, that Xuri connected with during quarantine or whoever else might want to listen to four professors talk about teen tv please like and subscribe on soundcloud apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now if you really like us please leave a five-star review for us on apple Podcasts. it would really help us out we also want you to check out my friend chris robley who has allowed us to use his song anonymous for our intro and outro music you can find anonymous on chris's fifth album the great make-believer His website is chrisrobley.com, and that's R-O-B-L-E-Y. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at chrisrobley. And Chris is also the co-host of the DIY Musician Podcast, so check it out. This week's episode was edited by me, Tiffany Salter. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk at you next time.